hun, it's me, Danielle. I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and I'm here to talk about all the ways multi-level marketing and mental health do not mix. It is important to know that this podcast is not meant to diagnose or for treatment. This podcast is based off of personal experiences and opinions, and is meant to educate and entertain. Now sit back and start healing with me on this episode of From Huns to Humans. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to From Hunts to Humans. I'm really excited uh, to do this bonus episode with Megan Williams. Um, As you know, I am obsessed with Megan and I talk about her all of the time. Um, If you do not have her um, workbook yet, you need to go find it. Um, cutting, Cutting Ties. I always mess up. I need to look at the title when I say it. Cutting Ties. Healing after MLM. That's what it is. Um, I always like jumble the words around and I'm like, this is my dyslexia just performing at its finest. Um, (laughs) It's a long title. It's okay. (laughs) Um, So yeah, today we're going to talk about grief. And I originally approached Megan about talking about this because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade and the grieving of um, many people of, you know, just lack of rights in our bodies, but also I wanted to talk to Megan because there's a lot of grieving that goes around or comes up when you're leaving your MLM. Um, And I thought this would be a really good thing for us to talk about just like the generalized topic of grief and what you can potentially expect when you're grieving when you leave your MLM or when a big event happens in the world like what are some of the grieving signs and maybe when the warning signs are of when it's too much and you should ask for additional help um and all that good stuff (laughs) yeah grief is um grief is grief is super fun super fun and I'm saying that totally sarcastically um so one of the the one of the areas that I specialize in is complicated grief um, I am, am fairly well-versed in grief issues that are complex, that are layered, and that a lot of people don't think about. And, and one of the places where we tend to end up grieving the most, but goes unrecognized as a grief process, is our loss of identity. Um, and that, that, I think, is something that comes with collective traumas. So... A lot of people in the midst of the stay-at-home orders and the pandemic experienced a lot of loss of identities because a lot of people lost their job. A lot of people ended up with long-hauler COVID that has taken away their health, their vitality, um, certain things about who they are as people, and, and created this new facet of identity for them. And then you talk about you know, a situation like the the overturning of Roe v. Wade, 
um, the collective racism that runs rampant in our, our country's systems at times. Um, and, and just to watch all of these things happen in real time, and, and they've all happened in such a condensed amount of time. Three years seems like a lot, but three years is nothing in the grand scheme of life. Right. So we've packed all of this collective societal trauma that has all come to a head in the last three years. And, and people of color have been experiencing a lot of these, these collective traumas long before it started to really impact um, the Caucasian community. Um, but I think like one of the things that, that, that I think happens for all of us is that we walk through these experiences in life believing something about ourselves believing something about how we fit in the world. And then something happens and bam, it just completely shatters both of those ideas. And that shift in, in understanding who we are as people and our identity is a massive grief process that most people don't even acknowledge that's what's going on or they're unaware that that's what's actually happening for them. On the flip side, that happens even in the midst of positive things. So graduating from high school, graduating from college, getting married, having children. There are many grief processes that happen inside of those positive events because our identity is completely shifted in those moments, right? Like when, when we get married, there's some grief for our single persona because now we have to nurture this couple identity that we've established, like that we're really serious about because we now legally bound ourselves to another human being. Um, I know when I had my daughter, like my identity as a childless person completely shifted. And, and I'll be real, there are still times when like, I love my kid. I'm very, I love my daughter. I'm obsessed with my daughter. I think she's the most amazing thing that ever happened to this planet. I think that's the way it's supposed to be, right? <laughs> But there are days when I miss just being able to pick up and go and do whatever the hell I want and not have to worry about picking her up, taking her places, or, you know, who's going to watch her while I go do what I want to do. Right. Our identities shift. They change. Um, when we lose friendships, when relationships end, there's a grieving process for the loss of the relationship, but it's also the loss of our identity inside of that relationship. Right. Yeah. How we fit there. Um, yeah, I was actually just talking about this the other day of uh, the loss of friendships is almost, I think, harder than when you end a relationship, because when you go into like a romantic relationship with somebody, you go into that and you're like, there's a chance that this could end and there's a chance that this could end badly. Like, that's always something that people are thinking about when you enter a new relationship like that. People don't really think about that when you go into a friendship, you know, you're kind of like, oh, well, like we'll see where this goes. Like how involved are they going to be in my life? Like, is it going to be an acquaintance or is it going to, are you going to be my best friend? Like, you don't know that as you walk in, but like the option on the table that you're not really thinking about is like the, this person's going to become really important and then they're just going to drop out of my life. So there, there's a couple of things that, that I've learned about typical friendships in the last couple of years that kind of it kind of blew my mind a little bit because yes, we are given this media and societal expectation that our friendships are supposed to last from cradle to grave. 
Yeah. That we're supposed to stay friends with all the same people we were friends with in junior high, high school, college. The average friendship, at, well, average, so, you know, it is what it is, but average friendship lasts seven years. Yeah, I saw that somewhere too. And I think that that's really interesting. Um, and I'm curious, like, what your thoughts are about, you know, friendships that last longer. Like I have some friends that I've known since preschool and they're still some of my best friends ever. But then, you know, I, I do, I have seen friendship cycles happen and around that seven year, seven to 10 year mark of, in my own life of just like, you're here and then you're not. I think a lot of it has to do with how people navigate life transitions together. Because I'm not the same person I was in junior high. I'm vastly different. I am not the same person I was in my 20s. I'm very open about that. I was not a very nice person in my 20s. Um, (laughs) I'm not the same person I was even three or four years ago. We're ever evolving. And the friendships that last over time are the friendships that can evolve and move as your sense of self evolves and moves. And people that are continuing on their own growth process. Um, so like one of my favorite things to kind of highlight this is if you're familiar with the television show friends, there's an episode where Monica runs into a guy from high school that Rachel had dated and Monica always had a crush on him because he was the popular kid in school. And like, he was the, the ideal, he was this dream boat, right? And she runs into him and he asks her out and she's so excited. She gets to go on this date with this guy who was her ideal for in high school. And she goes on the date and she finds out that he is completely stuck. He still has the same job he had in high school. He still lives with his parents. He still hangs out with all the same people doing all the same things. And then she's like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Friendships have to change and evolve as we change and evolve. And one of the things that happens and, and why I think the loss of friendships can be so intensely painful is because when we share who we are, when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable with somebody else, they take a piece of us when they leave. Yep. They take a piece of that. I totally agree. I totally agree. Cause like, I feel like friendships are something that are really special. Um, And it's such a unique like feeling because every relationship with you have, you have with different people is so uniquely different um, than the other. And you can put so much into a friendship and it, it, it's just, it's just special. <laughs> it is. It's that. So we, we also have this thing in our society where we believe that our romantic partner is supposed to be our soulmate. And sometimes our romantic partners can be our, our best friends. They can be our person, but a lot of times they're not. And there are ways that we can be vulnerable with friends that we can't be with our romantic partner. There are ways that we can talk to a friend and share the deepest parts of who we are that we can't necessarily share with the person that we, we want to maintain some other image, you know, some other connection with. Not that we don't trust our partner. It's just different. Right. That makes sense. And especially if you have a partner who might not be as good at carrying emotional burdens, 
right? Because some people just aren't built for that, you know, like uh, you and I, we're, we're built for that. Yes. <laughs> we are totally built to carry other people's crap, but there's not, not everybody's built that way, right? Um, and so there's this weird, there's this connection thing that happens. So like, like I, I, I'll, I'll speak of it in terms of myself. So, so my best friend is my person. She's my person. Like we are cosmically linked all the time in a way that I can't even describe because people will say, but you don't talk to her every day. I'm like, I don't have to. Right. You don't have to. Right. Um, there, there are just things that, that, that happen between the two of us. And, um, when she's in her darkest moments, everybody knows to call me and say, can you get here? Cause she doesn't live where I live. They're, they're like, can you get here? The only person that she needs right now is you. Can you get here? And I'm like, yeah, I'm on my way. Like I already kind of knew. <laughs> like, I started making a plan. We're good. Um, and same thing. Like she just knows, like we're, we're linked. Um, we're so linked that we could be sitting in a room together and um, just start laughing, just start laughing. And then one of us will start laughing. The other will start laughing. Like we can't stop. We're not allowed to be in serious situations together. It's not permitted. <laughs> um, but like that, that's a level that I don't necessarily have with m- my, my partner. Right. Right. And that's okay. And that's not necessarily a connection that I have with other friends and that's Okay. But this, this thing that happens with us and, and, and the way we connect to important people outside of our family, right? Because with, with family, there's these belief structures that we just have to be connected, which spoiler alert, no, you don't. Um, but our friends are our chosen people. They are people that we found to be safe at some point. And when we find out that they are no longer safe, that kind of shatters our sense of self. Right. And it's not that they become like abusive and totally unsafe people, but they are no longer the safe space that they were before. And the loss of that safe space is extremely hurtful and impactful. And it will sometimes keep us from being able to form a new connection at the same level because that connection hurt so badly when it was ended. That makes sense. I feel like I'm rambling this morning because like not enough caffeine. <laughs> no, that did make a lot of sense. Um, I, and I can totally relate to that. I recently lost a, a really close personal friendship and I am so hesitant to want to fill that gap with somebody else um, in that same way. Like it's just not the same and um, your trust is kind of different it shifts on how you trust other people after you get hurt like that and one of the things that like maybe I'm just way too compartmentalized in my life anymore um but one of the things that I've had to grow into is this idea that like not all people are my people even if they've been my person Mm. so if if it's been if somebody's been a friend of mine and they've been a close friend and then something happens. So for example, um, 
kind of tying it all into these bigger, bigger ideas. So if I choose to leave my multi-level marketing company and my friend decides to stay and I still want to maintain that connection, but my friend is now treating me differently because I made the choice that's best for me. They are no longer my person. Now, if they, if, if, if it's a agree to disagree, it's not an issue. Like we don't argue about it. They don't treat you any differently. Not in it. You know, it's not an issue, but when that person starts to treat you differently and they're choosing this other group of people over you, they are no longer your person. They are no longer the person that you need to connect to. If they, if they understand later that, that treating you differently or poorly was wrong and they want to come back and make things right, totally different experience. Absolutely. Um, but in that moment, they're, they're just not my person anymore. And that's okay. Because we've grown in two separate paths. Yeah. Um, and I think that one of the things that's really interesting about MLM and leaving MLM and the grief associated with that is that not only are you losing a lot of friendships or what you thought were friendships when you're leaving MLM, but you're also losing, like we talked about at the beginning, that identity because in a lot of these cases, we're taught to be a product of the product, which makes the products part of our identity, which makes the company part of your identity. So you're losing so much when you leave these companies in a lot of cases um, that it's just devastating. Um, And I think that's why when a lot of people leave, we see this outpouring of just raw anger. It also becomes that place where like, cause it is that, you know, I'm your fill in the blank girl or your fill in the blank guy. I'm your ketones guy. I'm your Mary Kay girl. Like people even like pull it in to like their label. Um, but I also think what's really interesting and, and the piece that gets lost in some of that is, is because of the indoctrination that happens because of the manipulation that happens inside of these companies. When I leave, somebody else takes it personally because it is now so tied to their identity. And why wouldn't you want to be this person? And they think that you leaving is you judging them for their choices. And some of it's projection because they are definitely judging you for yours. Um, But it's the same as like, so when I stopped working in residential services and I went to go working in an outpatient private practice setting, Nobody at my job was like, well, you're stupid for doing that. Like, why would you want to do that? No, they were like, oh my God, that's amazing. Let me know when you get set up, when you can take clients, I'll refer people to you. This is, I I wish you nothing but success and, and think that that's like an amazing choice for you. Everybody was super supportive. Were there people that were bummed because they liked working with me? They liked the work that I did? Yes, Absolutely. But not one person was like, I can't talk to you now because you don't work with me anymore. Nobody did that. Right. But when I left my multi-level marketing company, there were definitely people that did that. Yeah. Or I hear a lot of stories about people who leave and people will be like, we're still going to be friends. And then they block you the next day. 
you know, for me, and I'm, I mean, I tell my story a million times, but for me, I think the biggest, the, the biggest hardship that I had and the biggest grief moment I had around relationships inside of that company was pulling the veil back on the person that recruited me and seeing just how gross her recruiting tactics were. And it became even clearer to me because when I started speaking about my personal experience, she made it about her. And she started posting posts about me and how I have issues and I'm disturbed and like jumping on, you know, my different stuff and like telling me that like, I need to do this or that and using my recovery status against me. And I'm like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. You're showing your ass right now. Thanks. Thanks for proving everything I said to be true. That's outstanding. Yeah, I think. I just had a thought. Um, I think one of the things that was really hard for me, and um, this might not be the best comparison, but for me, it's kind of the only comparison that I can think of. Maybe as I say it, you'll think of something that's a better comparison. Um, But for me, I like looked at the way I was recruited and I felt like I was being groomed. Um, And I feel very icky when I think about that um and it's for me like I think that the people that recruited me into my several different MLMs I don't think that they're bad people but I think I'm they're taught to do these icky grooming tactics um that really just they're just very manipulative and when you go and you think about how that was done to you and how that was purposeful, like particular for me for Arbon, I was, um, she, she was really grooming me for probably four to five months before I signed up. And like thinking about that makes my stomach turn. It's, it's a, Some people do what's called the long con, right? That, you know, it takes three contacts to get to a yes. The no means not right, not yet, or not right now. No, never means no. But one of the things that I think it comes down to, and it's, it's, it's kind of a a larger societal thing. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but one of the things that we have to look at is this collective thing that happens in an American culture. And and I'm only speaking for American culture because I don't live in other countries and I don't know how they they handle this. I, I would imagine that some of it has to be universal. But in America, we're being taught constantly that what we're doing isn't good enough, that we aren't good enough, that we always need to be better. And like, don't get me wrong. I believe that we always need to be able to grow and change as people to be the best versions of ourselves. But a lot of the times the grooming comes in the shape of, hey, you know, you could do so much more. Your life could be so much better. You know, this is what's wrong with you. Like if you just lose that 10 pounds, you'll be great. Or if you just made all this extra money, then your life would be perfect. Or why would you want to work for somebody else? Well, I mean, all of those things, right? All of the messaging comes with this idea of if I have more money or I do this or I do that, then I will be better as a person. 
When the reality is, is that we are already good just the way we are. We are already enough just the way that we are. But there are billion dollar industries that have already started grooming us to tell us that we're not good enough. So then when these types of things happen, these companies come around, your grooming was already in place. And then this person just played on it. They found that insecurity. They found that pain point that salespeople use to dig, to dig, right? Right. To do the subtle things, right? So one of the things that my recruiter would do would constantly reference, I know you're broke. I know you're broke. Because that was my motivation was to have a little extra financial stuff to help do stuff for my kid that wouldn't take me out of the house more. Um, So it was this mantra, well, if you do this, then you won't be broke, right? Which is completely untrue, (laughs) completely untrue. In reality, if you do this, you will be more broke. (laughs) Like if I, if I do this, then you won't be broke, but I'll still probably be a little broke. Um, I will say that like, I recognize the fact that I got out breaking even. And the only reason why I say I even broke even was because I counted in my, in my ledgers, in my books, I accounted for the personal products that I had utilized and I pulled them out of my profit margin. So, um, I didn't, I didn't write them off. I, I, you know, they, I would have made a profit if I wouldn't have bought so many personal products to be a product of the products. Right. If it makes sense. I never stocked up a ton. I never had a whole room full of makeup. That did not happen um, because I was broke. <laughs> but I wasn't broke because like in America, we think that if I don't have millions in the bank, that makes me broke. But I own my own home. I own my own vehicle. You know, I, I have a well-paying job not broke. I always have food in my house. Like I'm definitely have some financial privilege above other people currently in in the United States. Right. Um, but our grooming starts with the first ad that we see that tells us that we're not good enough the way that we are. And life would be better if I just bought X, Y, and Z. Right. Right. Yeah. Or even that, that cliche, like when people are like, well, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy jet skis. And have you ever seen somebody frowning on a jet ski? <laughs> okay, then. Yep. All right. That's cool. Like you, you do you. <laughs> so, um, lots of controversy in the psychology community around the stages of grief. What are your thoughts about the st- stages of grief? Um, and your take on that. So I, I don't like the term stages of grief because grief is, it's cyclical. It constantly comes back around. I, I like the Kubler-Ross model as far as talking about the emotions that come with grief, right? So the numbness, the, like that detachment, that is a thing that happens, especially when, when, the loss is sudden and it's unexpected. Numbness and shock are like a part of our process as human beings. It's actually a protective barrier that our brains put out there to protect us from information and trauma that we might not be ready to handle the full weight of. Right. All grieving processes come with anger. They all come with sadness. 
at some point we have to learn to accept what has happened and acceptance doesn't mean approval. And I think that's where a lot of people get caught up on that piece. Like, I don't have to be okay with the fact that I lost what I lost or the person that I lost. I just have to not fight the reality that is no longer present in my life. Right. What do you think about like, even, so let's say, I I think that acceptance is kind of a fluid part of it too, you know, like, so like you can get to this point where you're like, okay, I accept this, but then, you know, something else, you know, kind of triggers you, I guess we'll say, and you get that wave of anger again. I don't think that acceptance is the end of the road for Mm -hmm. grief at all. Like some people seem to think. No, it always, and, and acceptance and sadness can live in the same place. Acceptance and anger can live in the same place. Sadness and anger can live in the same place, right? All of that, it all comes into, it it all comes back around and it comes in waves, right? And some losses we experience more frequently than others. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, there are always pieces of us that will come back into that, that grieving process or will, it'll hit differently just that one day because we're a little raw in certain spots. I like Warden's Tasks of Mourning, Because what it does is it gives us the ability to move through and deal with the emotions. And the first task of mourning is to accept the loss happened. To move through that numbness, to move through that shock, to move through the denial, and to just accept that this is what happened and this is my reality that I need to deal with. Right. And his model, it deals with primarily the loss. It, it, it was developed around the loss of a person, you know, around death, grieving. But it's true. It can be applied all the way out. Right. Right. Um, and that's where I like modify it a little bit, depending on the situation. But the first place we have, because if you even think in traditional grief terms, when somebody I love dies, depending on who they were to me, I lose part of my identity of who I was in that relationship. So when my parents die, I lose my identity as a daughter, right? If my brother dies, I lose part of my identity as a sister. If my partner dies, I lose my identity as a partner. If my child dies, I lose my identity as a parent. Right. Right. So we have to accept that this is our new reality. Don't have to like it. It doesn't have to be comfortable. It doesn't have to be okay. We just have to accept that this is our reality. And for me, that's the first piece that I think a lot of people, they think that they've accomplished, but they haven't really, right? right? Like, well, I'm out, I'm done, I'm good. But are you? But are you? Um, And I think that those are a lot of the people that we see the majority of anger with because they don't understand the magnitude of the different types of loss that come with this choice. Like, yes, you chose it yourself. You chose to leave these companies. You chose to to end this relationship. Cool. But you're still losing a part of yourself and who you thought you were inside of that company, right? You're losing this idea that I was successful or that I was a part of this community or that I was a business owner or whatever identity facet you've taken on. I was important. I was doing something. I was good enough. And now I'm not a part of that. And now I can't be those things. Right. And um, one of the things that happens in MLM is that you were in 
So like when you were in, you were in, like you were in the in crowd of the MLM and now you're out. So you have to also deal with that in versus out concept, mm -hmm. which is interesting. <laughs> I'm really, so another way that I'm really lucky is, is that I've never been truly in anywhere. I'm one of those, I, I'm the Island of Misfit Toys person. Um, I don't necessarily fit in large groups of people. I'm always the one that's on kind of on the outskirts looking in and like assessing things. Um, so I got really lucky in the fact that I didn't get a lot of that community stuff that other people got. Cause I think if I would have it, it would have taken me a lot longer to leave. Yeah. Um, but I'm a skeptic by nature. So like, I'm like, but why would you like me? <laughs> never been a cool kid so for somebody to automatically try to put me in the cool kid slot I'm like get the fuck out of here and I think <laughs> that that's one of the things that they prey on in MLM right is that a lot of people get drawn in because oh the bully from high school that was cool is the one that's recruiting me all of a sudden she's interested in me I'm cool now I'm in the in crowd now because these people that I like for whatever reason idolized are now taking interest or wanting to be a part of my life so side note and this is something like I think it's important in that that place right so as an adult as somebody who's now considered middle-aged I try to think about what gave people social capital in high school. When I was in high school, what gave them social capital? And the only thing I can think of was like their participation in certain sports or clubs or things like that, right? Yeah. But like even then, because I did some of those things and I still wasn't one of those people. And then I think about like these charismatic leaders. And that, that piece of charisma, that indefinable je ne sais quoi, that certain people just have. And that's what I think happens in these companies. The top 1% are those people. Those people that are born with just this, this innate charisma that draws people to them and you don't really know why. Right. And some of those people drift into some personality disorder type characteristics not diagnosing them just saying they check off some of my boxes um I agree but cults of personality right right in high school there are cults of personality and I still can't figure out why people liked half of these people because they were mean why would I want to be like so I'm wondering was it all fear-based I just didn't want to be the target of their vitriol so therefore I looked up to them I think that part of this conversation is also pretty privilege. Yes. Yes. But I also think it comes in forms like very similar to the trauma bonds that happen inside of abusive relationships. Right. Right. That idea, like I want to bond with my abuser to make them not abuse me anymore. Yeah. That's a good point. Like if you and know that somebody has social power, then you want to make sure that you're in their social good graces so that you're not at the bottom of the social food chain. Yeah. Um, right. So like we come into these places thinking that this is going to change me. It's going to make me into that person. But why am I admiring that type of person? Right. Like why would somebody want to be like somebody who is just a bully? So that you don't have to be vulnerable and get hurt. 
like all of these things come into play and, and, and understanding who we are as people. And I know I've gone kind of in a weird tangent, but that's what you and I do. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> these ideas, right? These are the things that we have to learn about ourselves. Why do I seek the approval from these people? Because they have this mythical life that I think is going to finally give me meaning that I think is better than my own. Like, but why? Why do I think your life is better than mine? A lot of the people that I've seen that are very overtly, you know, attacking the anti-MLM community and like talking and espousing how amazing the industry is. Do you know what's interesting is, is that I see them traveling alone most of the time. That is interesting. Is that because people don't really want to be around you? Is that because you don't really know how to connect to people without using them? Is it because other people can see who you are behind the veil and don't, don't want to do that? I just, and some people are like, well, I just prefer to travel alone. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, so do I every once in a while. But like, I, I can't imagine not wanting to share my experiences with another person that I'm connected to, to have that common conversation. Remember that time we went and rode that elephant? Like, why wouldn't I want to do that? Why would I only want to hold that for myself? Yeah. I think that a big part of, you know, life is about who you share it with. Mm -hmm. So if you are doing everything by yourself, I think that in the MLM space, it kind of, leaves room for like the you could be here with me or the like it doesn't take a village kind of right like thoughts um but also circling back to what you were saying um about just like recognizing like why do we idolize I guess uh these people Um, I think that a lot of people are targeted for MLMs when they are in their young adulthood before they turn 25. And at that point in your life, you haven't figured out any of this stuff that we're talking about. (laughs) Like you're still trying to figure out who you are as a person. So you haven't taken the time to figure out who other people are at all or what your relationship really means with other people. So it's really interesting that you say all of this because like thinking about like the stages of development, like before the age of 25, you're just, you're trying to figure out who you are. Like that's, that's where you are in your life. And that's really interesting because there are so many people that are targeted from that specific age group. Um, so, so, so true. Uh, the, uh, the most common denominator of the Primerica reps in my TikTok comments is they are young people under the age of 20 and, and typically people of color. (sighs) And it's, it, 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 I'm not one to want to have to argue back and forth with an 18 or 19 year old. Um, because one of the things that I also know about stages of development is that in our young adulthood, we have this um, air of invincibility that's part of that process. And that um, I know best because I've crossed this mythical line that now that I'm 18, that makes me an adult, which in all honesty was just an age that was made up by a bunch of other humans and not scientifically backed. 
Because if it was science-backed, you wouldn't be considered an adult until you were 25 when your brain is fully developed. Right, exactly. It was an arbitrary number that was decided upon by somebody in the United States that 18 made you an adult here. And it's different in other countries. So that tells me that it's not scientific-based. It's just a stab-in-the-dark number. And it just happens to coincide with when you are done with all of our traditional schooling, which means that we no longer have to pay for you to continue to go to school and educate yourself. That's a that's a good point and interesting tangent that I'm not going to take a bite at right now. It's, it's my little bit of a conspiracy theory edge in there, but I digress. Um, it's, it's all, it was all to avoid child labor laws. They had to pick an age to avoid child labor laws and they picked 18. Um, it's a, it's just a thing. Um, but like, so, so the other piece of this, right. So once, once we accept what's happened, once we're able to fully see things and see it for real and in real time, that's when we start processing all those feelings, all those Kubler-Ross feelings, we have to start processing them and identifying them. And, and the places where I think people don't understand that they are grieving is in that anger, that rage, that vitriol, that lashing out behavior. Um, I have somebody that kind of lashed out in a weird way in, in a post that I made in a Facebook group. Like, do you know what's going on with you? Cause I know what's going on with you. That's the fun part of be- about being the therapist in the room. <laughs> It's also the fun part about being somebody who's done a large chunk of their own healing. Like, and I'm not going to say I'm I'm 100% healed because there's stuff that pops up for me every day and it is cyclical, right? Right. My trauma response will trigger in really weird ways that I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. We'll work on that, right? Right. But we have to start processing the feelings and identifying them and working with them. And, and there are people that go through their, hey, I'm going to shame everybody who does this behavior phase. I think that that happens because that anger piece is just so out loud. And it does piss you off when you see the man behind the curtain and you understand what's really happening in some of those moments and the disgustingness of the behavior. And it's a lot easier to look at it in somebody else than it is to look at it in myself right. and the way that I may have done those things. But I also know the thing that pisses us off the most about other people is the stuff that we've done that we don't like about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And like, I think that that's a big part about like the anti-MLM community is we see the the tactics, the manipulation, and we know that we did that too. Mm -hmm. And so it just makes us so angry because we're battling the like, Oh, I did that. And the remorse and guilt around those feelings. And then um, we're also recognizing like that other people are doing it and they did not get to learn from our mistakes that we've already started to learn from. I think that's why I like this latest kind of trend push that's happened in the last six months or so is where people are reacting and posting the stuff that they've done versus attacking somebody else who's currently doing it. Yeah, I really like that too. I, I really need to post, I uh, made a, I made a Plexus parody song. (laughs) Oh my God, you have been holding out. 
I know. Well, I discovered it when I was like not doing very well with my mental health. And I was like, on the chance that I get some uh, not so supportive comments, I don't think I can handle right now. So I need to go back and find it because, um, oh my God, is it cringy. Just turn the commenting off. Just turn the commenting off. Just post it for what it is and be like, I know what this is. This is what's up. Like I turn the comments off because I just don't, I I don't need you to reinforce what I already know. (laughs) Cause that's the worst part is when people are like, ew, you did that. I'm like, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We did that. It's okay. If it makes you feel any better, I, in my memories and my, my Facebook memories from like stories that popped up, there was a, there was a time when um, my daughter was sitting at our dining room table with my big trifold makeup mirror um, with my makeup brushes and pretending to put makeup on and because she would see me do lives putting makeup on. So she wanted to be like mama. And there were times when I, she wanted to have the, the lip sense stripes on her hands. So I gave her lip sense stripes. Like I did that. I, I, I used my child in marketing. It was a thing that happened and you know, it's gross. (laughs) It's gross. It's gross that I did that. And, but, you know, I think that it just goes to show like our kids are watching and they're, they are looking up to us and they are modeling our behavior. And I think that's, that's the thing that sucks the most as like, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I can imagine as a parent, like looking through and being like, crap, <laughs> they've really picked that up uh, after well, you've she learned. Still, she still wants to wear makeup. And like, I, I mean, I wear makeup because like, I look tired if I don't, because I'm old and I'm a mom and I'm a full-time employee somewhere. And like, it's a thing. Um but she like is obsessed with putting on makeup and I'm like damn it what am I doing to my kid she's beautiful she's six she doesn't need makeup but I let her play with it because makeup can be fun yeah you know what we live and we learn and she's gonna learn so much from you and she's gonna learn like if you're listening and you know you have a kid that did that like your kids are gonna learn from you now being out of MLM like make sure you're sharing like about scams and frauds with your kids like I don't think I was ever taught about a scam or a fraud growing up other than like, like, you know, you get like scam mail and my parents would be like, oh, that's just junk mail. They're just trying to get money from you. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know. Um, and to, to provide a resource for folks that have teenagers or young adults and you want them to understand these things, there is a great new podcast resource that Robert Fitzpatrick is a part of called Ponzi-nomics 101. And they break down different concepts in a way it's a, t- uh, I can't remember the, the other hostess's name and I'm so sorry for that. Um, but she's a teacher And so they break down and are doing this curriculum for teenagers to better understand what MLM is to maybe combat some of these 18 and 19 year olds that are getting pulled into like Vector Company and Primerica and and Herbalife and all of these companies that are specifically targeting high school graduates. Yeah, that's awesome. I had seen posts about Ponzi Nomics 101. I haven't checked it out yet. The one 
the thing is, is that there are so many podcasts in this space and right. I love them all. I'm so glad that they all exist, but it's very hard to consume everything. <laughs> Look, I'm, 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 I'm very real. I have to take a break and I tend to like binge in one genre for a period of time. So like I've been, I have been uh, binging in a rewatch podcast to get caught up in it. And then I binge listen to um, true crime podcasts. And then like, I go into a phase where all I want to listen to is music. um, Cause I, I absorb so much content and and I need to like, my brain needs to switch in different ways. Um, And I need sometimes at the end of the day, I need something that's going to make me laugh versus make me cry or make me hurt. Um, because I, I exist in a world where I hear the worst moments of people's lives multiple times a day. And at the end of my day, I want something that helps me not have to hold on to that. Absolutely. Yep. Totally right there with you. I get that. (laughs) Um, you know, and it's, it's important that people know their limits. And I think what you, you know, one of the things you, you talked about at the very beginning of this is how do we know when we're at our limits and we might need to explore the option of talking to somebody or working through our feelings. And I think part of it is, you know, when you start to become obsessed. Yep. And you know what? That's so funny. I was literally just going to take you to this uh, next when we finished that. So that was such a good segue. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It's our therapy. Um, painting that we both have it's yes. those don't know danielle and i have the exact same painting in our offices <laughs> they're both behind us it's so fun we both, they both they look like a moon so it's super cool it's like we're connected by the moon <laughs> love it um but yeah i think that that's something that a lot of people really struggle with is when do i get help and this is kind of a general like topic of like when do you when is the time that you should ask for help uh maybe in a professional manner and um you know uh, just a disclaimer here um everyone's going to have their own individual experiences and we are certainly not talking to everyone here but kind of just trying to throw out some ideas that you know maybe if you're starting to hit some of these marks that it, it might be time to see if it's a good time to get therapy or other additional supports So I'm going to be, I'm going to be fully transparent. Um, I, I have a belief and it's my belief. It it doesn't have to be anybody else's, but I believe that anytime we walk through a major life transition, we need to be proactive rather than reactive. And that when we know we're making a major life transition, no matter what it is, and it's always good to have somebody that you can bounce stuff off of that is not emotionally tied to the outcome. I totally agree with you. I think that that is so important. Um, and it it really goes to show because a lot of times as like, I am getting these therapy referrals from people, and I'm sure you experience the same thing is that a lot of people are at their worst. Like they have waited until it got so bad that they had to ask for help. And what we are coming to right now in this mental health crisis in the world where we are short so many therapists is that unfortunately, like you can't get in tomorrow. Like you can't call somebody and be like, do you have an appointment for tomorrow? That's not going to happen. It's often going to be that you have to wait. And uh, what I would love to suggest to people is that you don't get to that point because Mm -hmm. it hurts. 
Yes. Well, and that's also where some of these um, not so ethical fast food therapy companies are able to like maximize on that. And I'm not going to name names because I don't want to get sued and I don't want you to get sued for having me say it on your podcast. So um, just beware of fast food therapy, like the places that tell you that you can connect with a therapist 24 seven. Um, if your therapist is available 24 seven, they don't have good boundaries. And that means that they're probably not the best helping professional for you. Um, the other thing too, is, is if you have that, some of them offer, um, therapy without an assessment, that's a red flag. Um, and then another red flag is, is somebody that will text only with you. Now there are what's called a warm line in most places. It's not the suicide helpline. It's a warm line where there are volunteers on the other end that you can text if you're feeling some kind of way. There's a teen text line. There's an adult text line. They are not providing therapy. They are providing support and somebody to listen and to maybe give some advice in the moment, but they are not a therapist. Big difference. Um, Any therapist who says that they can provide legitimate therapy to you via text without ever having met you or assessed you, that is not accurate and run, period. Yeah, Um, honestly, like, I think that a lot of people that are nervous about therapy think that this is a really great way that they can get support without like having to confront that um, uncomfortableness of sitting in the room with someone or being on a screen with someone. But um, therapy, a big part of therapy is your relationship with your therapist. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, part of that uh, for people who are able to, to visually see is, you know, being able to read body language and understand where the person is coming from. Because part of therapy for me is addressing my client's body language and affect and what they are looking like Mm -hmm. when they are talking about things. Because so say you have somebody that has very flat affect and they're trying flat affect, meaning that you don't show a lot of expression when you talk. Um, so sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um, no, so yeah, have, I know exactly where you're at. Yeah. So you have a lot of flat affect and then they're wondering why, you know, potentially in this made up situation, why people are not responding to them the way that they want to respond. We can talk about that and say, well, you do have a very flat affect. Like, you know, there's a chance that people are misreading you and misunderstanding what you're co- trying to come across as. Um, and through text, you're never going to get that. Right. The other thing too, and this is something that I think, you know, we're also assessing for safety. So like, if I can't see, if I'm doing a video session with somebody and I can't see their environment, I don't know what's going on. Especially somebody who might have an unsupportive person sitting right next to them. The other thing too, about like, for me, and I I prefer in-person therapy. It's just a thing for me. I I feel like it's just so much easier to to be in that space. Um, I feel like my office becomes a bubble. It becomes this safe space. And, and I know it's it's this weird thing that happens. Like you spend a lot of your life learning stranger danger and don't trust people you don't know. And then we're asking you to spill your deep, dark, ugly to us and we're a stranger. Um, but what Danielle said is 100%. What you said is 100%. Relationship is actually the most important factor for success in therapy. 
um, and studies have been done that it doesn't really matter what the modality is that the therapists use. So how, what interventions they use or what skills they use with you really doesn't matter a whole lot in the grand scheme of your outcome. What matters is your relationship with the person. And, and the other thing that I think is important is, is that people get scared because they're like, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't like your therapist, if they're not a fit for you, that's okay. You can say, you know what, I need something else. And most therapists offer a phone screen or have conversation with you to kind of figure out what you need to make sure you're a good fit for what they have and that they're a good fit for what you need, right? Like that's why we do those. And that's why we prefer to do them over the phone. So it's a conversation versus via email, but some people prefer email and that's fine too. But like we, we, we don't want to work with people that we can't be helpful for. Right. And, and I tell my clients all the time, like if we ever get to a place where this isn't working for you, you let me know because I will find some people that you can try that I think will be amazing for you. Because at that point, I will have a little bit of an understanding about who they are and what they need. Exactly. Yeah, that's so important. That's a huge part of what I talk about with people in that first phone call is that it's important for me that they have a good fit. So yeah, all of this to say, beware of those um, online platform agencies. This has turned into a tangent, but or it's in, an important Instagram therapist, right? Um, you know, the other, the other stuff that I think is important for people to be aware of and what, my, what, I, what are my clues that I might need somebody else to bounce this off of? One of the clues is, is that the important people in your life are tired of hearing about it. Yeah. Because that means that it's sticking, that emotional goo is sticking inside of you and they don't know how to help you anymore because you just need somebody to help you process it. That again, is not emotionally invested in the outcome. Um, and, and that idea too, like I, I have clients that come in and tell me the same stuff over and over and over again, and I'm still willing to listen to it. Your partner might get a little worn down by it. Your friends might get a little worn down by it. The other thing too is, is if it's replaying that much in your head, then it's good to talk to somebody else about it because that's indicative of unresolved trauma. Yeah. That's a reliving symptom that we have to process and we have to get the brain to connect because that constant rumination over certain things means that your brain is trying to make sense of it because it's not sure how to make sense of it, which is part of our trauma response. Right. Absolutely. And if you're reliving something like that, your whole body is reliving it over and over and over again. Um, and that is just not, not good for us. Um, so definitely that is a good time to seek therapy. Um, I think that if you're in the process of leaving an MLM, probably getting therapy is not the first thing on your brain. Um, you know, like while you're trying, like, so say you're listening to this podcast or another podcast that talks about anti-MLM or you're consuming YouTube content that talks about uh, anti-MLM and you're kind of sitting there on the fence, there's a good chance that you're not thinking, you know what, I should get a therapist to help me through this. But this is our uh, call to you that that is exactly the time that you should be thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Well, and and there are a lot of creators that talk about the need to heal once you leave. There are a lot of creators that talk about that. Not all of them, but there are a lot of them that talk about that. And a lot of them are very open about the fact that they create content as part of their healing journey. 
right? Right. It helps them process through what they did and what happened to them. Um, but I also think like if you are drifting more towards anger and you find yourself being more agitated than normal and less patience, less emotional bandwidth, less ability to deal with stress, that to me is always a, a flag that, that you need to pay attention to, that it's time to, to start unloading that stress in different ways. And maybe you need different strategies to unload that stress. Um, the, the other piece of this for me too, and is when whatever emotion you're feeling, if it's starting to get in the way of your ability to function in your daily life, even if it's over the top euphoria and almost like manic stuff, right? If it's starting to impede your ability to, to engage in daily living, which people are like, how would that get in the way? Well, sometimes when we're over the top euphoric, we get very impulsive yeah. and we do a lot of add to cart <laughs> or we decide to blow off work a lot or we decide, you know, to spend, you know, just there, there are ways that even that can become problematic and too much. Um, because life is about balance. Right. Um, the other thing that I will say is, is that when you feel like your emotions have become inappropriate for the situation. So if um, I start crying uncontrollably because I am out of ketchup, yes. that seems like a very trite example, but I know people that literally have massive emotional moments over something of that magnitude. And that tells me that there's a lot of other unresolved emotion that's going on that's not being addressed. Yeah, a lot of displacement. Um, I'm trying to think of any other examples, but you like hit so many good ones on the head. You're, you're in my brain. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it just becomes that kind of second nature for us though, right? Like you and I know these things and we see these things and you're absolutely correct. People wait until like they're at a crisis point and, and we need to be okay with recognizing that I don't have to handle it on my own if it's still kind of small. Even if it still feels a little manageable, having somebody who is unequivocally on your side, right? Like, and that's what I tell my clients, like I am team you all day long. Being team you doesn't mean I'm going to co-sign your bullshit. Right. But anytime I confront you about something or I ask you to look at something differently, it's because I am on team you and I don't want you to get in your own way. Exactly. And I feel like we get in our own way with this belief that I should, quote unquote, be able to handle this all by myself. Right. Well, you know what? You probably can. Most people are badasses and they don't know that they're badasses. But if you don't have to carry the burden by yourself, why would you? I'm not going to go out and try to carry my couch across the front lawn by myself. No. That's why would I feel it. like I have to carry my emotional burden by myself? Right. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, there are generations that think that that is the only way. And I am so glad that we are starting to move away from that mindset of thinking you have to deal with everything on your own, because it's just simply not true. Um, there are people that are there to help you. And it's interesting because a lot of the people that are, that are in the generations that are like, just suck it up buttercup, right? Um, they, these are the people that can't retire 
because their entire identity is wrapped up in their job identity. Yep. These are the people that don't have any connections and, and don't know how to live communally with other people their own age, right? These are the people that get interminably lost when all of their friends start dying, which is sad, but they don't know how to deal with that. And, and one of the things that, that I think, so my, my parents are boomers, um, you know, and they've never disparaged mental health because clearly that's, that's what I do. Um, <laughs> but like when it comes to their own stuff, they don't, they never really dealt with it. Right. right. It was that, well, we're just going to lean on each other. Well, what happens when one of your partners fails? Like their brain starts to fail, their body starts to fail, or they're no longer able to help carry that burden. What happens? It takes its toll on both of you. And, it, and it, the, the generation that tells us not to talk about things, the generation that calls people snowflakes for having emotions are the same people that have unresolved trauma issues that are right out loud. They are right out loud. They live in their amygdala yes. all day long. For those, I'm sorry, I went very brain nerd. Your amygdala is where your, your stress and trauma response are, are, are stored in your brain. It's your, your fight or flight control. Right, exactly. Uh, all right. Is there another topic in group that we should cover today? Any other thoughts? Just- the, the fact that nobody's grief process is going to look the same, right? Nobody's going to, ha- people don't necessarily have the same emotional processing at the same time or the same intensity. Um, everybody's way to wander through it is going to look different. Everybody's path to healing looks different. Comparing your journey to somebody else's is completely irrational. Some people have more resiliency just built into them. So they go through things quicker or process things differently. Um, And some people take a little bit longer and they get stuck on certain things, especially based off of your experience being in. If you were further in, if you were in longer, if you were in multiple companies, you know, and you have this reinforcement of the problem has to be me because I'm the common denominator. No, the common denominator is a shitty business practice, right? Um, There are some people and some people you, you could see their outsides but you don't know what's really happening on the inside. So judging yourself by somebody else's appearance of their journey isn't appropriate. And it takes what it takes. Time takes time. And um, we all need to be mindful of the fact that like my journey doesn't have to look like yours. Different doesn't equal wrong. It doesn't equal that you're doing something incorrectly. It just means that you may have also some other things that were part of your vulnerability to multi-level marketing that are still unresolved. And that stuff is what's taking time because it's kind of clogging up the works. Because if I don't deal with that stuff, I can't deal with the new stuff appropriately. Yes. Yes, well said. Um, I think that that's really, really important that we think about that everyone is on a different healing journey and that no one is ever going to look the same. Um, And it's important to hold space for that and know that you're not wrong for healing however you heal. Mm-hmm. And like, there are people that if part of your issue, part of your grief process through this is loss of community, you can help find part of your community through this process. 
right? There, there are lots of people in the community that are available to provide you with support without knowing you and with no financial gain on the back end, right? Um, it's also this idea that like, when we stop living in our false selves, we're able to attract the right people to us mm-hmm. because we're not bringing in people based off of who we want them to think we are. We're attracting people because of who we are. Right. And, and that your community will find you. The right community will find you. The right people will find you when you are willing to release the people that you've been holding on to that are not your people. Yeah, that was beautiful. Oh my gosh. What a great, I mean, do you have anything else that you think we should touch on? Because I think that was a great way to wrap up for today. I, I think that's, I mean, you know me, I could talk for like five I know, hours. <laughs> I know, I know. And we could go off of each other forever. Um, but um, Megan, where can people find you? <laughs> um, so I, I'm on the Tiki Talk at Megan dash Zona Life. I am on Instagrams at that Zona Life and at Authenticity Experiments. Um, you can listen to my new podcast called The Authenticity Experiment anywhere that you get podcasts. I'm very excited about that. Um, and then the book Cutting Ties Healing After MLM is available on Amazon.com. It's in both uh, Kindle versions and a paperback version for the people that prefer a hard copy. Yes. Um, and I really like Megan's podcast, so I definitely encourage everyone to go listen to it, especially my episode, which just yes. recently came out. So um, just a little little plug there. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome to have Danielle on um, and to have a conversation with, with her in, in a different realm and, and that kind of thing. I love, I miss having conversations with people. It's not like anything formal. It's just a conversation. Yeah, it was so fun. I I really enjoy your podcast. It's so cool. Like, it's just, uh, I really liked the episode where you had, I liked so many of them, but anyways, there was one episode where you have a woman who, um, it, is it called a medium where she talks to cats or yes. animals? She's a, an animal communicator. Yes. That's what it's called. I was just so, I like, I don't know. I, I just thought that was so interesting. Like I've never talked to anyone that's been, an animal communicator before so like hearing a conversation from somebody that does that was just so cool and so interesting and just you know being exposed to people that you are not regularly exposed to was just really cool there are people every single day walking around you that you have no idea what their story is you have no idea who they are and what they've been through and how they've become the person that they are today And every person's story has value. Every person's story has value. So like I'm talking to people that have some, you know, weird parasocial notoriety and social capital. And I'm talking to people that nobody really knows because they're just my friends. (laughs) And it's, it's super cool because every single story has value. And even people that I know that I've been having these conversations with, I've learned more about them through these conversations. And it's just, it's super cool because we all need to be okay with being who we are because who we are has value. Who we are is good enough just the way we are today. Absolutely. 
All right, everyone. I hope that you have a fantastic week. I hope that you have been enjoying these bonus episodes. Um, they're kind of leading up to my one year anniversary, which is this month. So exciting. Um, <laughs> I have really enjoyed healing with you all. And um, yeah, I hope you all have a good day. Bye.